don't seem real. I ain't gonna never breathe again, ever. How he's dead. And the other one, too. All on account of pulling the trigger. It's a hell of a thing, killing a man. You take away all he's got, and all he's ever gonna have. Yeah. Well, I guess they had it coming. We all have it coming, Captain. Pivotal film. I am Tom Nolan, and I'm Mario Ponzio, and this is episode 35. I think 35. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've spent years since we've done a list episode. It's been so. five weeks. I think it's been longer than that, doesn't it? I actually think it has been longer because we pre-recorded a bunch like, of stuff. So like it's been like weeks. six or seven weeks. Yeah. yeah, which seems fascinating and interesting. And Part of this podcast is actually doing lists of 100 pivotal films, right? Maybe it isn't anymore, Mario. I mean, pretty soon it won't be because. We're gonna run, we're out, run of, out of movies. We're gonna run out of movies. Um, but yeah, we got a new uh, new list episode, so we got a brand new. Oh wait, speaking of bad news, sad news in the beer world. Yeah, East Rock Brewing. I haven't confirmed this. Is discontinuing Hoffenlager. Why? I don't know. That's terrible. Too many beers they're making now. I guess so. Maybe they're gonna make it not seasonal. Who knows? All right. Well, whatever. That's sad. Has, haven't confirmed it yet, but that's what I've been hearing. We're breaking. We're not breaking news here. <laughs> That'll come out in five days from now. The first we get sued by East Rock. Yeah, that would be actually really good for, for, our, for our podcast. Um, yeah, so we got a new list. We got a brand new beer from New England Brewing Company. It's called Tickle Party. It's an India Pale Ale. It's a 5.8. It's got a... Uh, I'm happy with 5.8. Motuka and Citra Hops. Um, after After December and all that and... Just drinking in general. I'm happy to have a 5.8 beer. Well, just nice to go back to normal, I think. Yeah. Like, just regular beers. To an IPA. Yeah. Because that's all people... It smells like a brewery floor. It does. It really Which does. I actually find to be a pleasant smell. Me too. Not a pleasant taste, though. Don't really like that. It's, like, empty? I don't know if it's empty. It just tastes like... <sighs> I'm getting a lot of upfront... Like, just hop taste, and then not much know. of anything else. Tastes like copper to me. Not blood. Not like that kind of copper, but just like... That would be good. It tastes like... It's okay. It tastes it's... kind of like a sweet pennies in my mouth. It's okay. I'm not going to be sad drinking it tonight, but I'm not going to be like... Every sip is not going to be an adventure. I think I'm mostly going to be sticking with water. Oh, yeah. I'll take some. I'll take some tickle parties home with me tonight. You had that gift card. I had that gift card. That guy was very happy at 12.01. Um, all right. Speaking of numbers, we got, a, we got a, me and Mario got a number for you. We've decided in this, in, in, as we do a run-up to the last... 72.3. Yeah. <laughs> as we do a run-up to 
on the subject of decimal points, did you read that stupid all those that stupid news that like people aren't ninety eight point six degrees anymore? We've we're like a new temperature. Oh no. No. So I've been too busy reading like Slate, New York magazine, and the Atlantic going crazy about Bernie Sanders. I'm like, he can't win. Yeah, that's been that's been interesting. And I love the explanations are just like, Well, he just can't. I mean Because of too, things. He's too left. He'll they'll say he's socialist. But he he's gladly says he's socialist. We can't have that. Well, and Mike Francesa chimed in as well. And he says the actual primary doesn't start till Super Tuesday. Doesn't matter what happens before then. So if Mike Francesa says it, you know it's true. Um, Acclaimed film star, Mike Francesa. Acclaimed film star, Mike Francesa. Um, we're doing something a little new. Wait, um, what's the number? I got a number right there. The nine-digiter. Oh, Nine-digit. Um, we've been talking about this for like several months but we just kind of got around to doing it i guess that's taking six weeks off from this does um we've been talking a lot about our pivotal films obviously on this podcast and we were just kind of interested almost two years now we're interested as we enter the third year to talk about like other people's pivotal films and it's hard to like invite people here like all the time and just be like you know, come and just tell us about your pivotal film, and then just don't do anything. I mean, the for elevator, the, whole, the elevator, the, the pivotal film towers broke, so you have to climb hundreds of flights of stairs. And people just it. aren't interested. And we don't have man on the street capabilities yet. So what we have developed is a phone number that you can call and leave a message and tell us about your pivotal, your your pivotal film. We've actually created the technology of the phone. Yeah, we did. We did. Um, the number, and I'll say it again a couple of times tonight, is four seven five seven seven seven. Two four five zero, and just to give, did you come up with a jingle for that? Four seven five seven no. seven seven two four five zero. I am working on an animation though for like to put on a uh, on online. Oh, that's four seven five triple seven twenty four fifty. That's just the end of everyone. <laughs> um, to give people a taste of what we're talking about here, we had uh, my friend Chris Gardner was here. Several months ago, I think. We're talking about the Joker. Episode 40. Oh, just joking. Was that 45? I don't remember. That was Knight of Cups and what was and um, what was yours, that one? 45 would have been Holy Grail? No, it was not Knight of Cups and Holy Grail. It was Knight of Cups and something weird. But I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Um, My... Oh, maybe it was Holy Grail. I don't know. Who cares? Um, we're going to jump to a clip of Chris telling us about his... Uh, his pivotal film okay well i guess the movie i'm here to talk about is don hertzfeld's um it's such a beautiful day this is an animated feature that was actually came out as i believe it was in three parts originally released online but um they were since released as a feature film that is collection about an hour 20 maybe or something like that it's a very minimalistic style, and it tells the story of a man named Bill, um, and it's sort of a slice of life kind of feature, and in this film, it, it, it um, details Bill's mental deterioration due to some sort of unspecified brain condition that, as we, it is revealed to us, it is genetic, and we get sort of a family history of Bill while also watching him sort of move through his daily life and how this condition affects him and the realizations about his life and himself and other people that he comes to as a result of this condition, right? 
So the first time I saw this movie, I was approximately maybe 16, 17 years old. And I was extremely stoned with some friends. And we stopped, had to stop the movie about a third of the way through because it was too intense for us to finish in our condition. Because the movie, although it's animated in a very, very simple black and white drawn mind style, is interspersed with visuals of actual filmed imagery that come in very unexpected and very interesting kind of ways. And it produces a really interesting effect where you're seeing Bill, but you're also seeing through his eyes. Right, and you're experiencing this illness with him while also experiencing him experiencing it. So it's very interesting to see. It's a very it's a breakdown of life in kind of a similar way to Night of Coast, which you've heard about somewhat recently. Um, and I came back the next day and watched the rest of this movie, and it still, as a completely straight sober experience in the middle of the day, blew my fucking mind. Just the way that this seemingly unassuming animated experience could so completely illustrate um, the struggles of life and dealing with mental illness and dealing with just even a regular experience of life and how to create meaning in a sort of quotidian existence where we all have to work and drive cars and go to grocery stores and interact with people who you'll never see again and what that means for us and our development as human beings. It's an intense experience that everyone, I think, should go through at some point or another. And because also it also shows you that the visuals aren't necessarily as important as the message. And it's all it's no there's no dialogue. It's completely narrated, too. So the narration is very flat, very straight. But it gives you just these emotions and the emotional communication it gives is very intense. So I think everyone should have that experience. So go see it. I don't know if it's on. It's not, it was on Netflix. It's not anymore. You'll probably find it on YouTube. Pirate it if you have to. It's worth it. Um, so, yeah. Call us. Maybe or, don't pirate it, though. No, I, he's cool. If, if you're not associated with the podcast, you can say that. Pivotal Film does not promote pirating. Well, but Chris does. The hosts of Pivotal <laughs> Film do not promote pirating. Um, call us at 475. Except unless you're Pittsburgh pirating. Good one, Mario. Good one. You were taking a sip. I can't high-five you then. I'll... <laughs> this is this is, oh, is yeah. uh, 475-777-2450 we're going to throw some music behind it we'll make it all moody just like we just did um, and I don't know I just think it'll be interesting we'll talk about them a little bit um, but yeah we'll see what happens we'll see what happens folks it'll be good it'll be fun let's see if anybody if anybody calls could you imagine like we never get a social media reactions but then you just get like a hundred messages on this yeah, thing I, I log on to the email my number one pivotal film is Pirates 2 Stagnetti's Revenge Hey, who says that? Who's calling? Oh, that's me. Oh, that was Vin Diesel. <laughs> um, Listen, all right. Well, I'm talking so, about my Jesse Jane movie. That's the voice I take. Let's talk about some new movies, Mario. Who wants to go first? You want me to go first? Or you... uh, this is not start. new. These let's are two weeks with, ago movies. Let's start with the negative. Let's start with the negative? Okay, so I took my kids to see uh, two weeks ago to see the new Robert Downey Jr. movie, Doolittle. Unavailable. You can talk to animals. Yes. 
Doolittle is directed in some capacity by Steve Gagan, who did uh, Siriana. He also wrote the screenplay with... Oh, he did Siriana? Yeah. Which is yeah. a movie I always forget exists. It wasn't bad. No, it wasn't a bad movie. Um, it won George Clooney an Oscar. That's why George Clooney doesn't care about anything anymore. Uh, screenplay was Steve Gagan, Dan Gregor, <laughs> Doug Mand. Um, so yeah, Robert Downey Jr. is Dr. Doolittle. Um, he also does the voice of Dr. Doolittle. Which is is a relevant thing in this movie. Uh, this movie also stars Antonio Banderas and Jesse Buckley and Michael Sheen in live action roles. And then the voice cast, and you can associate these with any animal you want, is Emma Thompson, Emma Thompson Rami Malek, John Cena, Kumail Nanjiani, Octavia Spencer, Tom Holland. I'm not sure who Tom Holland is. Uh, Craig Robinson, Ray Fiennes. He plays a dog that wears glasses. Oh, he plays a dog? Oh, that dog is, is in it infrequently. Um, Ray Fiennes plays a sad tiger, Selena Gomez, um, and Marianne Cotillard plays a fox who I think has like two lines. So I'm not sure why she's even here. And doesn't, and isn't there a farting dragon? Well, that dragon does fart. Yeah. It's a big fart, Mario. And that's, and it saves the world. So every, everything gets saved. I mean, the premise of this movie is that Dr. Doolittle is sad because his wife died and then, uh, he gets summoned to the, uh, castle of the, of the, uh, queen because she's sick and if she dies then the land that she gave to Dr. Doolittle goes back to the you know the monarchy or whatever and then he can't live there anymore with all of his animals so he has to go on this adventure to get this fruit that he can squeeze into the mouth of Jesse Buckley so that she can live again. Edward VII was a real asshole when it came to intimate domain. Yeah that's and that's probably I think ultimately that's what this movie's about but it's subtle. It's really, it's deep underneath all these different layers. Um, here's how you know that you've made a bad movie. When walking out with your kids, all they can talk about is the credits that are going on as they're walking out saying, they're so funny. These credits are so funny. Um, are the credits funny? No, they're just pictures. They're just animals in, oh. in zany situations. Um, this movie stinks. I think my kids enjoyed it because they just kind of enjoy everything that's kind of fun and big dragon farts, I guess. Except Missing Link. Pretty cool. Well, Missing... I don't think anybody enjoyed Missing Link. They were just like, this looks nice, but it's really boring. And just, you know... Um, and it doesn't give you a clear sense of, like, a Sasquatch movie. I don't think anyone wants this out of a Sasquatch movie. Just watch Harry and the Hendersons if you want to watch a Sasquatch movie. You know what I mean? Um, but, yeah... There's all this. I think everything stinks about this movie. The the, the voice acting is pretty bad. The script is terrible. I've heard there's all these parent issues. Awful. Well, yeah, we're gonna get to that. That's okay. like the major thing. All all of a sudden, like three quarters of the way through the movie, they drop all these parental things. So the polar bear and the ostrich just all of a sudden reveal that they have daddy issues. John Cena has a daddy issue. John Cena as a polar bear and who is always cold, so he puts a hat on and now he's not cold anymore. And Kumail Nanjiani's ostrich, who uh, Doolittle rides, because he doesn't ride in cars, he just rides in boats and ostriches. Um, they both have daddy issues. Ray Fine's tiger has, like, a mommy issue. Like, he wants to impress his mother, so he wants to eat people. I don't know. All of those and things... And that dragon has a flatulence issue. <laughs> well, because it ate too many people. So it, had, it got blocked up. Mm. So that's why it was, it was so gassy. That was Smog's problem. I think so. Um, 
No, Spong's problem is just Benedict Cumberbatch was inside it. Like, I don't know how this works. What am I doing here? Um, I Robert Downey Jr. is admittedly a very famous person, and we tend to think of him as a good actor. He is fucking terrible in this. Terrible. And I don't really get it. I don't, you, you haven't seen it? I'm not going to. And you're not going to, nor should you. I'm I'm not 100% sure what he's doing here. His voice is disembodied from like his mouth moving. So they re So like their ADR was awful? Yeah, they re-recorded this voice. Is it have... like Val Kilmer in the Snowman bad or um I don't know. I don't know if I like was if I know that movie well enough to say definitively like that it was it was off so Seeing much. the Snowman can often make a person lose consciousness. Um but he talks like this the whole time. And then we have to do this. And then we have to do this. Like whispering it. It's like, why are you whispering? You're, it's like they're on a ship and people are shooting cannons at you. He's like, get to the main. Get to the main hast. Get to the cannons. I'm going to go do this. And it's just awful. It makes no sense. I think he thought he was taking a real acting leap. But he it just... Is is te- I mean what we do our worst movies of the year Doolittle will, will be on it. It is a, an abject. And that's, a, that's saying something because the year big, just yeah. started. So yeah, um, that was bad, and it's my bankrupted a, a company. We'll see. It has to Michael make five hundred million. It was good, but it's funny because um, Steve Gagan clearly doesn't know how to make this type of movie. So there's a lot of Michael Sheen just like. In the center of a, or there's two people on screen with Michael Sheen, and Michael Sheen makes a joke, and then the other guy doesn't get the joke, and then Michael Sheen has to explain the joke, and that is a joke. It was, that's the whole movie for Michael Sheen, is just doing that stuff. Just explaining jokes? And then he just gets hit into a pit by the dragon tail, and then he's, he's gone. <laughs> he's like there. That's the way you handle your He's delay. there, and he's mad, and then he gets hit into the pit, and then he's just, you know, just like, oh, yeah. Well, and that guy's him. dead. Yeah. Oh, and um, who else? Jim Broadbent's in this too, and he's just in—he's in one room the whole movie. Well, Jim Broadbent has only done roles where he can just be in like one or two locations, like since Hot Fuzz. Yeah, I don't think Jim Broadbent's walked on screen in <laughs> two decades. Oh, he walks, but it's just like a couple steps to one place, <laughs> and then like a couple steps back to a different place, and he just looks you know. down, sees his mark, walks over there, and asks yeah. for his paycheck. So yeah, um, do little. That's it. <laughs> Don't do that. I also saw a family-friendly movie. That's that's good for for all ages. It's a lovely little tale of a sequel that some may say took too long to come out. That you know the time had passed, seventeen years in fact, since the last film. Uh, this is Bad Boys for Life. man you can get that buffed out no you can get that buffed out remember knock and talk yeah knock knock mighty pd get down what the hell happened to knock and talk hands behind your head right now i got this i'm gonna penetrate this man's soul with my heart what watch and learn sir i realize that you're scared you know sometimes fear 
How deep you think you got in his soul? Marcus Burnett and Mike Lowry are getting, <laughs> getting pretty up there. They're slowing down. They're, Marcus is thinking about retirement. They have 25 years now on the force. Whoa. And Mike Lowry is still convinced he's a young buck. Suddenly, uh, a man in a bike has, goes around and is assassinating people. Gemini man? Old case. <laughs> is um, it? We'll get there. Oh, okay. um, he, he shoots Mike Lowry. And what? Mike is, is, is put into a coma for six months. Um, and meanwhile, this unknown assassin is taking over the Miami drug and trade, but also assassinating all these people tied to an old case because his mom is telling him that all these people have to die. But Mike Lowry needed to die last. He's kind of screwed up there. Uh-huh. Well, Mike Lowry's unconscious. Marcus retires. Uh-huh. Because he's done with it. Mike Lowry recovers, um, decides to take on the case himself, despite Captain Howard, good old Joel Pantoliano, uh, you know, oh, yeah. urging against him. Uh, and he's stuck with a group uh, called Ammo, which is this new young task force of using, you know, high-tech stuff and young bucks. And Mike Lowry's realizing that he's, you know, a little slower. You know, he can't, sure. get, in, he can't get in the nightclubs as easily what? anymore. Yeah. <gasps> Um, eventually, I love what, I love when movies do that. Like he's Will Smith on the in, on the on the outside, but inside the movie, he's a fucking loser. <laughs> yeah, he's an old man. Like these people still want a, a person who looks like Will Smith into a nightclub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All this attractive fifty-one-year-old dude who still looks like he's like forty-five-ish, uh, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Who and has money? Like I Mike Lowry's it. character is a millionaire. Yeah, it's like great. that's a big part of that entire story. Is that Mike Lowry doesn't just does it for the adrenaline? So yeah, he'd get into nightclubs because you know, money. Because my, and he lives there, and it's Mike Lowry. Yeah, people would know that. <laughs> okay, good. Actually, a big part of this is like the bulletproof cop. He's called the bulletproof cop a lot. Oh, so they, I didn't know if that was a thing. Before. So he's got a nickname. Yeah, but he can't get into the nightclub. like. He's a famous cop. He's a famous cop who looks like Will Smith, <laughs> and he can't get into nightclubs. Yeah. Okay, um. Go ahead. Sorry. Eventually. Uh, the worst part of the movie happens, and uh, Captain Howard's killed. They kill off Joe Pantoliano. What? Movie sequels like that have to do this now, where they kill off, you know, one of the, like, original characters that doesn't really matter. Yeah. I don't know why they do that. Scream 4 didn't do that. Good job, Scream 4. Star Wars did it. Did it, like, three times. Yeah. With Han Solo, more specifically. Like, we got to get rid of one of these guys. And they're like, well, I guess every movie we got to get rid of a new one. So Joe Pantoliano will come back in two movies. Yeah, for sure. As a As ghost. A ghost. <laughs> um, and eventually Marcus and him get back together and they're, you know, trying to figure out what it is. And it turns out the twist is <gasps> Armando, the hitman who's been going around, is Mike Lowry's estranged son. What? So it actually is quite literally a Gemini, Gemini man. <laughs> Terrific. Um, eventually, they go to Mexico City to fight the to fight Armando and his mother, who is a witch. She's like the entire thing is she's she's actually a witch. Awesome. Um, Armando. How many, how many homes do they drive through? Not, not, not any. I don't. I don't think they. They maybe drive through one. I, I mean, they drove remember. through a lot of it's, homes in it is Bad not, Boys yeah, too. It's not like a international incident sort of thing. Okay. Um, 
Because this is not a Michael Bay movie. No. Uh, eventually, Armando actually turns, joins the, the good guys. You know, he, he jumps in front of a bullet to save Mike Lowry. Uh-huh. And the mother's killed, and Armando survives, goes to prison. But the movie ends with Mike Lowry going to Armando in prison. And going, you know, I might have a way to reduce your sentence because maybe we could do a fourth one of these movies. And they're going to because this movie's made a shit ton of money. Yeah. It's made $218 million, right, in, in two weeks. Pretty good. Um, I might say that this is my favorite of the three. Hmm. It, for prime, the primary reason that it's not directed by Michael Bay. It's directed by two, two dudes who I am not even going to try. They are Belgian. Oh, okay. Yeah. And their their names are They should just call themselves them. two Belgian dudes. <laughs> yeah. Um so what I enjoyed about this film is is it doesn't have the meanness that like Bad Boys 2 really had yeah. so much. Like there's so many parts of Bad Boys 2 that's really mean. Mhm. Like the exploding corpses part the fat corpses that explode and like the head flies off and you know you get all those weird michael bayisms constantly and the spinning camera they keep trying to do the spinning camera in this and it keeps getting interrupted and eventually they only do the spinning camera once on your uninterrupted and that's when michael bay cameoing has a wedding host is giving a speech and the camera's just constantly spinning around him that's pretty awesome <laughs> which is a, it was a, nicely self-aware it was a hilarious touch um i it's it's a pretty typical action film. You're getting what you expect. Uh, the one thing I really appreciated about it, there's a good amount of CGI gore, but there's feels like a good amount of practical effects. There's a sequence uh, where they're driving at night through um, on a motorcycle. Uh, like, Mike Lowry's on a motorcycle. Marcus is in a sidecar. And Marcus <laughs> has refused. He has sworn to God that he will never commit violence again mm-hmm. if Mike Lowry could survive from the shooting. Yeah. Uh, and then Mike Lowry has to convince them as they're getting grenades and all that thrown at him to, you know, that God is telling him by giving him a gun in the yeah. sidecar. There's like a machine gun in the sidecar. Of course. That he, you know, that God wants him to commit violence. And, you know, Marcus Burnett agrees. And they just get a nice sequence of, uh, you know, them driving down Miami, you know, Miami yeah. Highway and just shooting the shit up. Um, yeah. It's, awesome. it's and it's it's a lot of practical effects, which is great. The entire finale, like action, like the final sequence, takes place like in an abandoned hotel, mm-hmm. um, and it all looks just good. Like like that's what you're expecting for this movie. You're expecting a decent amount of comedy, you know, and you're expecting just good action sequences. Yeah. And it delivers on both. Well, I think the I mean the thing, the reason to see Bad Boys One or Two was for their for the chemistry between Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. And yeah. then everything else was just kind of gravy. And the fact that Michael Bay did all this crazy stuff and they, because it's so funny, all the crazy stuff doesn't seem very serious. It just always seems like a good time. It's why Bad Boys 2 is like less of a good time because it seems like um, a lot of people are dying that probably didn't realize they were going to die that day. Oh yeah, and that's, and like the big part of it is Marcus like going like, we kill a lot of people who probably shouldn't be killed. They're bad guys for the most part. Yeah. But we get like, like there's a long joke of like how much, how many expendables just die just for no reason. Um, but like, so it's, it has this self-awareness, but it's not like very nudgy, nudgy self-awareness. Right. It's just kind of playing with it. Mm-hmm. Um, the surprising thing to me was that the like younger ammo team 
is actually they work really well. Like the chemistry there is also pretty good. Hmm. Uh, Vanessa Hutchins is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, like she's the kind of weak link of the four mammo people. But uh, Alexander Ludwig, who's a newer guy, is just like he plays this kind of dude who's really unhappy about violence himself because he was a bouncer and he accidentally punched a dude and killed him and so he like he can't commit violence he's the tech guy Mm. and eventually he has to like in the final sequence he's like i need therapy like i'm gonna need therapy (laughs) for this and it's it's funny yeah you know and like it it plays jokes while people are getting killed but it doesn't ever kind of descend into just um like making a joke out of the people getting killed like one guy gets which is good yeah paled on a forklift and like that's the one thing that's kind of like played for a joke um but for the most part it's not uh is he a civilian or is he like no he's 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 like a drug dealer right and so in a michael bay movie that's just like a regular person and yeah you know they're like whoa i don't think like besides like the people armando kills like the judges and whatnot there's no like collateral like a big thing is armando you know because they want to redeem him in the end um he refuses to shoot through like an innocent person to kill Mike Lowry later, mm-hmm. like before he knows it's his father. Like there's a woman in front, and he's like, "I'm not going to kill an innocent person." Uh-huh. And it's like, well, you are kind of a bad guy, and this redemption angle in the end's weird, but nah, it's still fine. Mm-hmm. It still works. Cool. Um, yeah, no, it's it's a it's a fun time. It has it, it feels. And I told you this afterwards. It feels so much like a '90s. It feels more like a direct sequel to the original Bad Boys because uh-huh. it's a little more reserved. I think Bad Boys Two had like a two almost 175 million dollar budget. And they and spent it has all like... on Brazilian hovels <laughs> that they could drive their cars through. Which is I'm gonna Cuban. I Cuban. Could, oh, is it Cuba? Oh, it's Cuba. I talk about that. That was a pivotal scene in my life. I could not believe that that was happening. I was like, there are. Again, we talked about the Jim Ross scene. Poor people just dying. Poor, poor people were just getting fucking <laughs> annihilated by a Hummer that was just driving down a fucking mountain. By a rich man who was a, a good guy. Oh, um, Jesus. But yeah, this feels so, you know, it ha- it's a lot more reserved. Still $90 million movie, so it has big moments, but they yeah. are fewer and far between. But when they go hard, it, it does it well. And because it's more practical effects, it just... It looks better. Well, hopefully, um, you know, it'll be a movie that comes out. Bad Boys Four will come out like in the summer, when I'm not currently in a I hate going to the movie theater phase of my life, which I am now. I do like that they called this Bad Boys for Life. They could have just waited. Well, they were one talking. Movie. They were talking about that on <laughs> called uh, that Bad Boys for Life on the Ringer's Big Picture, and they were saying that they they think that they probably did it because they weren't sure if this was. Yeah. They thought this was just going to be the movie. And now it's clearly not going to be like a standalone movie. They're going to do another one. So maybe it comes out by the end of the year. Who knows? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Hopefully uh, they keep this duo, this directing duo, because mm-hmm. they did Why not? a much better job than Michael Bay. No, it's not Star Wars. They'll just be like, yeah, that worked. Let's do yeah, that again. Like, we could pay these guys like $5 million total. Yeah. That's... Not even each. Just total. Maybe if that. Belgians don't care about anything. They just need waffle money and then they're fine. <laughs> Um, that's something that's something to look forward to. Yeah, no, but it is, it is definitely if you're an action fan, it's it's a good time. Yeah. Except for Joe Pantoliano dying, that's dumb. I think it's probably the Matrix, Matrix prequel. We didn't know we were gonna get. So he goes from there. He enters the Matrix, probably. I, oh, right? Yeah, I think so. I think that's how this this goes. Um, I mean, that's why they're making maybe Matrix is actually secretly a crossover. Matrix 4? Well, there's going to... I mean, so we have Matrix movies to look forward to, Mario. 
Like we have lots of we have lots of movies to look forward to. Yeah, yeah. It's the new year, new decade. Twenty twenty. Just like oh, he didn't have the phone. Four seven five seven 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 two four, four five se- zero. There, Mark. Did I get it right? Four seven five seven 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 two, two four, four five, five zero. Look at that. You did memory. it. You did it. Jeez, ladies. Yeah. But uh, good yeah. memory. Yeah, and I drink. I shouldn't have memory anymore. Um, <laughs> no, we're talking about our most anticipated films yep. of 2020. Hopefully, it works out better than some of my most anticipated films of 2019. Things like Lighthouse and Under the Silver Lake kind of popped up on there. And although they had some traction in my awards year, you know, they ended up being. They were enjoyable. Yeah. I don't think any. I don't know if any of my most anticipated films ended up in my top 10. Yeah, just her smell for me. One of my most anticipated films is going to be the first most anticipated film I, I talked about this Popes, year. Two Popes was near. I don't think it made my list, though. Did we even talk about that in January? Did we know it existed? I was thinking about it because I was thinking about Fernando Marielis, but. Mm. Interesting. I, def- I definitely did not have I Lost My Body or Transit in my most pivotal because I didn't know those movies existed. Right. And, and Transit had already come out. And that's the beauty, I think, of. of, of this stuff is that we're going to find things as the year goes along that make the movies that we're looking forward to seem irrelevant and stupid. Was and High Life on your... High Life was not even no, no, on no. your radar. I don't even really know why I went to see High Life. Because we were doing a Claire Denis special. Is that it? Yeah. Why were we doing a Claire Denis special? Because it seems like a good director to do a special episode on. It was. It was I mean, it worked out. Yeah, it did great. It did well, good. minus the last 30 minutes for me, um, cognizantly. Let's... I'll go first and talk about my first most anticipated one because it was on my list last year and I wasn't sure if it was going to come out last year. And it debuted at a film festival last I think it debuted at TIFF last TIFF? Maybe Toronto. I thought it was later in the year, though, so I could be wrong. Um, it is Kelly Reichardt's first cow. Um, it is being released in uh, March 6th, I believe. Um, it's another screenplay by Reichardt and uh, Jonathan Raymond based on uh, Jonathan Raymond's novel. Uh, the Half-Life, it stars John Magaro, Orion Lee, Toby Jones, Alia Shawkat. So, you got people, you got some people. Um, I love that Alia Shawkat is just popping up, like, randomly in things now. Like, um, what was I watching? She's on some show where she was the sister of some somebody in, in some show I was watching. And she was, has no hair in it. She's bald, and she was married to Jerry Jam from Parks and Rec, who was another actor I love. Um, well, now now she's like a big TMZ person because why? Kept doing like the oh, is she dating Brad Pitt thing? Oh, good for Brad Pitt. Yeah, that, I mean that's a you know what, she's I don't know what she's gonna get out of it, but like you know she's a, seems like an awesome person. Brad Pitt has has done worse in his life. That's um, not Zach Braff Florence Pugh situation. No, no. Um, the the tagline for this is, or, or the description that I pulled off of uh, the website is a taciturn loner and skilled cook join a group of fur trappers in the Oregon Territory, though he only finds true connection with a Chinese immigrant also seeking his fortune. The two collaborate on a successful business, although it is reliant upon the clandestine participation of a nearby wealthy landowner's prized milking cow. Um, I guarantee you this will be a quiet movie. I guarantee you 
Um, it will not resolve itself in the exact way that you want it to. I also guarantee you that it will make you feel really happy that you just spent that much time with it. Not so much in the sense that like the story is a happy story, because I have no idea, but that it's just so well made and so well crafted that it, you will not regret seeing it. I'm uh, very much looking forward to it. I'm actually kind of bummed that there's some stuff coming out ahead of time that we have to see. You think there's going to be some YOLO tango in there? I don't know if they're doing the score. I just don't know. I don't know what they do anymore. To be, to be honest with you, um, I check in on them periodically. But uh, what's what's your your you know I guess fifth most anticipated or the first one you want to talk about? All right. Um, I end up having six. I had one that isn't on my list right as of yet, just because I don't care about it yet. What but is it? It's getting like the reviews. It's getting. Coming out of the festivals is just like, maybe I'm like, oh, maybe I should care about this. Because I don't give a shit about Killing Eve. I tried watching it, and I was like, I hate TV shows. Um, so this is Emerald uh, Flannel's uh, Promising Young Woman. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just where Carrie Mulligan, Carrie Mulligan is movie, yeah. just going out to bars, um, pretending to be drunk. And then when men try to like sexually take advantage of her, she turns it on them. Mm-hmm. Um it's been getting like super glowing reviews. It's I'm sure on. it will come out on December 31st, and Carrie Mulligan <laughs> will not be eligible for anything. <laughs> um, but that's kind of on the on the precipice. It's right. not my top five. Uh, my fifth most looked anticipated is Apachat Pong, where the director the of Boone 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 yeah. Boone, uh, his Memoria. Yeah. Um, it is Tilda Swinton playing a woman from Scotland who travels to Bodega and she starts having exploding head syndrome. Yeah. She's hearing loud noises and starts um, kind of noticing these strange sounds and like having possible hallucinations with it. Uh, he's promised it to be kind of a quiet movie again, kind of, you know, mad. Like, did you like Uncle Boon Me? I did. I mean, it's visually a great yeah. film. It was, it was, I thought about it a lot for my top 20 of um, the last 20 years. Yeah, it popped. It was fairly close to my. I mean, it wasn't fairly close, but it was definitely. I considered in the running. it. Yeah, I considered it. Um, but that ended up being. I, th- I think for me with that, that was just more. Um, some Mubu uh, Deep Proms um, cinematography. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he's gone on to be quite a quite a guy with his cinematography. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lucas picked them up. Luca Guadagnino? Yeah, doing because he did Call Me By Your Name. He mm-hmm. did, um, I think he did Suspiria. Well, he yeah, did, he did Suspiria. Suspiria. Yeah. yeah. He was on my list that year. Um, so, yeah. You know, you just his films are much more quiet than, than you'd expect. And well, and this, I'm ha- it's interesting that... And it, also Tilda Swinton. Just getting more well, like Tilda That's going to be awesome. I'm, I'm happy that we know that that is coming out. And I think because Uncle Boonmi was such a kind of... Um, you know, it won, it won a bunch of awards. It kind of put him on the map. Not on the map, but, like, in the consciousness. That, like, now when you're making a list, when you see, like, a 20 movies we're looking forward to at whatever festival, like, he's going to be featured prominently on it. So that's interesting. Um, my number whatever is um, showing at Sundance right now. It's the Julie Decker film, Shirley. Um, Julie Decker did Madeline's Madeline. Um a couple of years ago, or last last year, Madeline's Madeline was last year. Um, this stars Elizabeth Moss as Shirley Jackson, the novelist, um, and it also stars Michael Stuhlbarge. A young couple moves. I haven't even heard of this movie. Oh this yeah, is a movie about Shirley Jackson. Yeah, 
So a couple moves into Shirley Jackson's house, and she uses them as like the basis for a novel. Um, apparently, is that, is it's that getting called the lottery. No, I know it's not. It's like a different novel. Um, apparently, the ending is really amazing, and I love Elizabeth Moss. And um, I really liked Madeline's Madeline was a tough one for me because I couldn't get into it. It was visually very um, disorienting. Um, you're just very close to people's faces all the time, and I don't know the cinematography in Madeline's Madeline seemed very plastic. And it's, it was just hard to get into. The script was very, um, I don't want to say obtuse. The script was just very opaque, and it was it was hard for me to get into it. Um, but I found I found it like a fascinating film. Um, so I'm interested to see with like a real with Elizabeth Moss, who is a person I like a lot, playing a real life person. Um, if that gives me more of an in to like her work, you know what I mean? Like since I have like a basis of of awareness of what the hell is going on. Um, if I, I'm interested to know if I get more into it, but that'll be coming out soon. I'm assuming, um, or it's getting some buzz. Or in late December or in late December. Yeah. No, nobody gives a shit about Elizabeth Moss. Elizabeth Moss can release a movie every month and it could be amazing. And they'll be like, I don't know. There's other people. No, no, just Renee Zellweger. What's she doing this year? Nothing. She's riding (laughs) fucking horses in Texas. Give her an Academy award. Is that what she's doing? I don't know what she's doing, but she's getting Academy Award this Does year. Does she ride horses in Texas? Is that a big Renee Zellweger thing? She's a Texas person, yeah. Uh, and they have to ride horses. She's either carrying a gun or she's riding a horse. Uh, my number four is... My, Sorry, Texas. My number... Yeah, they, they could be a swing state. Could be. Very yeah. unlikely. And I'm going to ruin that for it. Yeah. Could you imagine? One vote. And it's just like, fuck Pivotal Film. It was Beto O'Rourke. Yeah. And they vote for a Democrat instead of a Republican to make us really angry. Yeah. <sighs> They end up voting for whoever the Democratic nominee is, and we're like, oh, no, you got us. Yeah. Because we're super Republican. We love the Republicans. Yeah, all of them. Uh, my number four is kind of my most – now, my number four and three are two films I am in a position where I think both of them could probably stink mm. quite a bit. Um, but this is this is the one that's more likely to stink. Which is? Uh and it is the, <laughs> the the more likely to stink award goes to uh, this is Candyman. Oh um, yeah, I forgot they're remaking Candyman. A, se- a sequel, not even a remake. It's just a straight up sequel. But I mean, it'll be a modern sequel, which means it'll somehow just be a retelling of the first movie somehow. Tony Todd is Candyman again. No, of course he is Daniel Robitaille. Um, you know, I've liked what Jordan Peele's work has been so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, Us needed another pass like we talked about last week. But Get Out, obviously, I liked quite a bit yep. considering where it ended up on my list from the past 20 years, uh, which I will I will get you that that, that writing soon. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, I, you know, Candyman was a big part of... I don't know, it was a big horror movie of my childhood. Um Something I loved. Uh, the actual Candyman, Tony Daniel Robitaille, is probably one of my favorite horror movie villains. Mm-hmm. I'm crossing my fingers. I'm good. I'm crossing my fingers that Philip Glass is un, doesn't die and is tricked into doing the score again because that's probably one of the best horror film Does scores. he have an Oscar for a score? I don't think so. We got to get him one. Maybe this is it, Mario. The Candyman score. I mean, if Eno Morricone can get one for Hateful Eight, then... Um, that's Phil true. Glass get one for Candyman. So, you know, who knows? I liked both of the Candyman films. I'm going to pretend Candyman 3 doesn't exist because that's 
it was a direct to DVD movie. So uh-huh. You don't have to pretend that. It, yeah, it doesn't fine. exist. Um, What's the other one that could so stink? So my number three, uh, less likely to stink, but it's it's probably the most anticipated film on most people's list outside of Tenet, which mm-hmm. isn't on my list just because like I just wrote be Tenet time. because I obviously want to see Tenet, but I also don't give a shit. Yeah, like I'm excited for it, but uh, you know, whatever. Um, it is Dune. Yeah, Dune is on my list too, so we'll just talk about Dune. What is it? I mean, I just want to see what the fuck this is going to be. Yeah, no, exactly. I think visually it's going to be spectacular. Um, I think this might be one of the times where Hans Zimmer actually does a score that's interesting. Um, Greg Frazier, I'm not... What is, is gonna, uh, we yes. talked about that a couple weeks ago, or la- yesterday, last week. We talked about that with our, with our... We ended, actually, we ended our best of 2019 show talking about how weird we thought it was that uh, Deacons is not doing this movie. Yeah. That's how we ended the show. I can't remember. We found out why, but I don't remember why. I thought you said it was like a scheduling thing. Yeah. he was making another movie or something. I can't remember what he was working on. I think he was busy. I think he was busy with 1917. Maybe. It's a weird choice. I think the escalation here for Dennis Villeneuve is really interesting. Like, to go from the movies he was making, like, ending with Sicario. You know, you know, Prisoners and, and like, or whatever else An he was enemy. doing before that. An enemy. Sicario. Ending with Sicario. And then doing Blade Runner, or Arrival, Blade Runner, and now fucking Dune. And yeah. this movie's either going to be amazing, or it's going to be like Dune. Right? Well, you no, know, exactly. And that's, I mean, the that's, reason, a... that's the reason why it's number, why number three. I would be more anticipate, anticipating it. I think Dune has a book. I mean, I guess I never finished it, but I think it stinks, and I think the entire story is fucking stupid. I don't understand. I don't even understand anything that's happening in that book. I've tried to read it a bunch of times. Yeah, same. Because the paperback is like the sexiest paperback ever. It's black. Its pages are really thin, and it's so it's super heavy and but malleable. I love like a good mass market paperback book, and I can't fucking do it. Yeah, I just I, can't do every, it. Every time I start reading it, and it goes like year ten thousand, blah blah blah. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> Anything that like goes like, yeah, we can just be 8,000 years in the feet. It's like, fuck you. You yeah. can't do that. Idiots. They can't, you can't. It's just, you can't do that. Just make it like 2,500, 3,000. Yeah. 4,000 even. 10,000? What the fuck? Well, fuck you, we, know, we know now that we're definitely not making it 10,000 years in the future. No. We're definitely not going to make it that far, so. Only 8,000. Um. So yeah, I, I think visually this will be great. I, I think the the cast is is really yeah. promising. Um, I, despite my best intentions or best whatever, I, I I enjoyed somewhat of what David Lynch did with his Dune. So, I mean, I like Tremors more from oh, a no. sandworm perspective. Oh, I... Tremors, Tremors is. Be- I mean, from the sandworm perspective, Dune is number three. It's like Dune. Beetlejuice, Tremors. Now, right. of course, that's a Tremors series. If we're talking the full six-film anthology of Tremors. We have to do a Tremors bonus episode. I've seen all six. I would just go probably like Tremors 4 and Tremors 5. Um, no, no, no. Tremors 3. Then Dune. Then Tremors 6. Tremors 5. Then Beetlejuice. Then Maybe I might be crazy and say Tremors and then Tremors 2 Aftershock. I like Tremors 2. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's on. I mean, they're pretty close. I Michael mean, Gross isn't dead, is he? No, he's still doing Tremors movies <laughs> with Jamie Candy now. <laughs> Him and Jamie Candy are Tremors. Oh up. man, which? What was the first Jamie Kennedy Tremors movie? Five. Yeah, I love that movie. That movie was fucking great. Yeah. Yeah. Five's good. We have to do Tremors bonus episode. Or, you know, instead of doing a regular list episode, we'll just do a Tremors episode. Um, I'm going to go I'm gonna go inward once again. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the new Miranda July movie that's also playing at Sundance, Kajillionaire. Uh, Evan Rachel Wood, Richard Jenkins, Deborah Winger, Gina Rodriguez, and uh, Divine Joy Randolph from... from um, Dolomite is my name. Oh shit! There's a Tremor Seven coming. Oh, it's gonna be awesome. Is it Michael Gross and Jamie Kennedy? Oh, if that's coming out this year. We can do it. <laughs> oh, filming wrapped on December twelfth. I bet you it's coming. It's gonna come out direct to DVD this year. There's no way. Hold on a second. Come out. Hold on a second. <laughs> Updating my number one. <laughs> um. So yeah, a low stakes grifter and her parents invite a chipper young woman into their insular clan, only to have. Their entire world turned upside down. I don't know what that means, but Me, You, and Everyone We Know is a fantastic fucking movie. I wish John Hawks was in this movie somehow because he may, like, her, him, the relationship between him and Miranda July in Me, You, and Everyone We Know um, is one of the great, like, weirdo screen relationships um, of the last 20 something years. Um, so, yeah, Kajillionaire. I mean, it'll release sometime, somewhere. It'll play Criterion like for a week. That'll be like in October. I think that's going to be a bigger release. Who knows? I think it's going to be a bigger, like, kind of small release. Apparently the big the big money winner this year at Sundance has been the Andy Samberg movie. Yeah, it's the bias grossing one. It's, like, made $17.5 million and $69. And it's going to be on Hulu. So, who knows? But it's got, like, my, my, my big film crush in it, so... Andy Samberg? No, Christian uh, Milano? Milano? Oh, from How I Met Your Mother. How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. She was in Once. All um, right. So I already said Dune. What's your number? What are you at? My number two. I, I would not be shocked if it's your number one. It's. I don't have a number anything. Well, I, I wouldn't be shocked if it's the other one. Uh, it is the new Charlie Kaufman written and directed film. I'm thinking of ending things. Yeah. Um, it's not on my list because I don't know what I'm going to I don't know how I feel about it. He didn't write it. And I'm not sure what this means. I mean, he didn't write the story. He, yeah, it's just it's, I'm, it's like confusing me. I mean, have you? I've never read the book. I've never read the book either. I've heard mixed things about it. I I'll, I'll give it a read. I felt weird about Anomalisa. I did not like Anomalisa. Mm-mm. I respected the shit out of it. Um, I loved the fact that Paul Thomas Anderson ripped it off for like a significant portion of or a significant moment in Phantom Thread, um, like the breakfast eating. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's great. I didn't. I thought he was kind of. I like Tom Noonan being everybody. I like Tom Noonan being everybody. I love David. I, I love um, David Thewlis. David Thewlis. Just, I think he's fucking amazing. Um, naked. Get more David Thewlis in here. But Anomalisa seems so tired. The idea behind Anomalisa seems so tired. And I've seen Charlie Kaufman just do this. Every movie is like this is about the same thing. In every single movie, he's found a new, special, amazing way to tell that story. You know what I mean? And Anomalisa, for some reason, didn't feel special. I didn't feel anything. I just felt bored. And it wasn't... I shouldn't have felt bored, because it wasn't boring. It was puppets. You know what I mean? I think... But I 
I kind of started to feel in the middle of that movie that the puppets were like a gimmick because this material was just like, just like dead. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's, I, I'm, I, it's, I feel this way. I was having this conversation with the dad at, uh, in the school pickup line about the new Pearl Jam single, which is fucking garbage. And I was like, I've waited eight fucking years for a new Pearl Jam record. And this is what they give me is this new terrible song with like a da- like a dance rock number and this is what i got and i'm i'm a little scared mario that we've entered a kind of new weird charlie kaufman thing where he's actually living the life that he was living or that the adaptation portrayed he was living you know what i mean where he's just kind of stuck and he's just making the same movies over and over again i mean i, mean, I guess i would say it's been 5 years since amelisa and maybe he's had time but amelisa took Seven years, but that's why it's not on my. That's why it's not on my list. Um, yeah, no, I'm hesitant. I I like this cast a lot, so, Mm -hmm. and I think Charlie Kaufman unchained, like able to do whatever the fuck he wants, might be, which what Netflix obviously will do. Yeah, um, could be good. I mean, if it's if it's good, I will be the first person to say it's good. But I'm scared it's not going to be good. The fact that that took it was like was shot in you know a month and a half, but it's been in like post production forever. Yeah, it's, it's promising to me. Maybe it'll be good. I don't know. I'm 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 not I'm not holding my breath because I'm I Charlie Coffin means too much to me for me to just kind of sit and hold my breath. Because okay. if it's no good, I'm going to die. Um my the last one I'm going to mention is um a weird choice for me. It comes out on June 26th. It's a big summer movie and a movie Wonder Woman 1984. No. I'm going to be that movie looks fucking awful. But um it's a musical. It's in the Heights. In the Heights, um, <clears throat> directed by John Chu, who made Crazy Rich Asians, who knows what he's doing. He is an actual director. I don't think he's gonna fuck this up. Is this written by Lin Manuel? Lin Manuel Miranda, and I'm in. My family is currently in a Hamilton uh, stasis right now. All we do is listen to Hamilton all day long, um, to the point where the kids have now they have a robot that they got for Christmas that can repeat things that you say and they just put it in front of the Hamilton soundtrack and the robot will rap back to them. Um, But I think the trailer looks good. And I think the trailer looks very relevant. I think this may be a movie that Armand White hates and Richard Brody loves. Yeah, I can see that. Because I think they've turned this... I think they've... I don't know what In the Heights, like, the musical's about, but, like, the idea that, like, they've put this ending of the dreamers act inside of it um with some really exciting music may be like a real emotional like film experience and i'm kind of i'm interested in what that feels like and what that looks like so um and it's weird it's like there's so many regular movies coming out and i'm just like well this is a weird movie and it's because there's nothing this summer like the summer is barren of like of tentpole yeah, tenant um, things. It's but fast twenty. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I didn't know that was coming out. That would have maybe been. We should have talked about that. Uh, but yeah, so in the heights. Uh, my number one. Uh, I am super nervous about because um, his debut film was a huge emotional punch for me, and is like one of the kind of happiest I felt watching a movie, and it was mm-hmm. a great emotional close experience and i'm hoping that as a film essayist he continues this run he's going yeah. a little more 
experimental with a sci-fi, um, but that's uh, Koga Nagata's After Yang. Yep. Is by, He's still like, got Haley Richardson. Fucking, by like a mile. This yeah. is like my most anticipated, so. Um, just because Columbus is just, you know, such a <clears throat> soft movie and just such a, you know. Uh, so do you feel this way film. about... And this feels personal again. Do you feel how I feel about the Charlie Kaufman movie about this? Like, yeah. if it goes wrong, like, you're just going to be like, fuck. I mean, no, because, like, you, you know, sometimes you have sophomore slumps. But um, I'm hoping it just wasn't, like, a one-punch, you know? I'm mm-hmm. hoping that Colin Farrell and, you know... Um, is Haley Lou playing? I don't think Haley Richards playing his daughter. Is he? Is she? She's in it. I don't know. I don't know, know what she's who she's playing. I think Jodie Turner Smith is playing. I don't know. She's probably not playing his daughter. I don't know. I didn't realize Jodie Turner Smith related to Joshua ja- is married to Joshua Jackson though. It's hmm. fun. Um, yeah, but it, it this feels once again like a very personal, close sort of relationship movie. Yeah, just, it's going to be two people doing that and that is you know what made columbus such like a special sort of film. it's going to be something to see like you know which will be good again it's another guy who um just like i'm not going to try to pronounce his name the uncle Boonmi director um who now we're just kind of like here's a movie that he's releasing it's not going to be under the radar anymore you know what i mean you don't have to necessarily be a film uh elitist to uh, to be aware of this movie yeah. i mean it's helpful but you don't have to be. Well, I think after Yang is actually picking up a lot of steam in terms of like anticipation. Like mm. It's popping up on over like almost every anticipated list. I've well, been I think seeing. because people felt like idiots for missing like for like that Columbus didn't do salt opening culturally weekend, wasn't as relevant as it now I think is turning into. Like people are like, oh yeah, Columbus. No, yeah, that was a good one. Not Ohio, Indiana. No, definitely not Ohio. Would have been a much different movie if it had been Ohio. They'd be like, look at that building. That's just a building. <laughs> yeah, and the tower. Um, sorry. Yeah, so Texas and Ohio, we're, we apologize. So I'm definitely going into that one nervous. I think Colin Farrell is a good actor to have follow up, like a personal, <clears throat> like a close kind of personal film. He kind of does that vulnerability well. Well, I think he's. I definitely I, would have liked John Cho again, but you know, but he can take risks. The new guy. And I don't know who the old guy was, but I bet we could come up with him. Who's like a game for anything, which is why Yorgos Lathamos like loved him because like you'll do anything. Um, who was that old guy? Who used to be the actor, and maybe still is in a way, but like is the actor that was just like they'll do any crazy, stupid shit that you want. Like Tilda Swinton is a little bit like that, where she'll like play normal roles, but she'll also play crazy roles. Mm. Maybe even Adam Driver a little bit too, although he's a little Noah Emmerich. Noah. <laughs> Why do you always go to No Emmerich? <laughs> no Emmerich was the guy. John C. McGinley. John C. McGinley was in a lot of random shit. Patrick Wilson. You know what movie I'm looking forward to in a month? Jennifer Connelly. Judge. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what she's doing. Jackie Earl um, Haley. I'm just gonna keep nine new people from that children. New Nick Cage movie. Um, Color Out of Space. Oh yeah, it's no. getting amazing <sighs> reviews. I guess I'm really looking forward. I guess maybe. Maybe that probably should have been on my list. It's okay. It's coming. I mean, I, I heard. I, I think heard it's coming it's out second, digitally in like I heard it's in the end of half February. Implodes though, unfortunately. Like implodes in a good way. No, in a bad like a way. planet. No, like in a kind of just like mm, it doesn't capture cosmic horror well. I'm also looking forward to this Ren and Stimpy duck. There's a Ren and Stimpy duck coming out. Yeah. 
I think I'm more looking forward to um, uh, Denmuch Horror. What's that? Being, it's going to be like he's doing a trilogy. Um, God, what the hell's the director's name? Um, the guy that did Island Doctor Moreau. Oh yeah, him. yeah. What did? What is that movie? Um, no, no. But it's 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 Richard Stanley. Yeah, he's yeah, doing yeah. Color yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's space, doing yeah. a trilogy of horror, but Dunwich Horror will be will be interesting because it's a little more like reserved, but mm. psychotic in a way. Like mm. I'm, I'm expecting, hoping for an in the mouth of madness style kind of experience, which won't be great. It will fuck me up. Cosmic Horror and me do not get along well. But you love it. All right, um, we like, will. I be... guess it kind of fucks me up. Maybe I don't. Maybe I shouldn't watch these movies. You watch them. You'll fucking watch them. You do a movie <laughs> podcast. You're obligated to watch it. Um, we will be right back, Mario, with our first list discussions in over a month. We're talking about 2019 movies again, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're just sticking with 2019 <laughs> movies. Welcome back. All right, so I'm going to break the ice here. Um, my number 35 is uh, from 1992, uh, which will be a theme of this episode. It is Clint Eastwood's uh, Unforgiven. Step over to the office and get the bullwhip. A whipping? That's all they get after what they've done? Get out of here! It was a matter of honor. They're paying $1,000 to whatever kills the two boys that cut up Delilah. In a time when lawmen were killers. What are y'all looking at? You English Bob. Outlaws were heroes. Well, I thought that you were dead. Hell, I even thought I was dead. Till I found out it was just in Nebraska. And a bad reputation. You're the one who killed William Harvey and robbed that train over Missouri. Was as good as gold. Yeah. Old trailers. I love those old trailers. They don't do that stuff anymore. I didn't realize Bodyguard got such negative reviews. It was Kevin Costner's haircut, right? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Unforgiven won a bunch of Academy Awards. Uh, It was written by David Peoples. He won four? Four, yeah. Uh, Won Best Picture, Best Director uh, for Clint Eastwood, Best Supporting Actor for Gene Hackman, and Best Film Editing. Um... What was it up against in 92? Do you remember? Uh, Crying Game. So, that's good. That was a good movie. A Few Good Men. Not good. Howard End. Howard's End. Good. I like Howard's End. Yeah. And um, some pe- uh, piece of shit movie that is known as Sin of a Woman. Fuck that movie. <laughs> I fucking yeah. hate Sin of a Woman. Sin of a Woman is just the worst movie. Yeah. Fucking Al Pacino won for that. I feel so bad. But I think he was okay for what like he had to do. But I just felt bad that he won but for like, that and not for any of the things that he did in the 20 years he was acting in movies beforehand. Yeah. Like, <laughs> come on. But he's like the worst of the four, I think. The other nominees. What are the other nominees? So Robert Downey Jr. for Chaplin, which is the most uh, one of the bunch. But I think I prefer Downey Jr. from Chaplin. Uh, I like Eastwood more in yeah. Unforgiven. Um, I love Stephen Rhea in Crying Game. Mm. And then Denzel in uh, Malcolm X. Oh, I think Malcolm X probably. Denzel probably should win that movie. Yeah, I would have been okay with Denzel or Stephen Rhea. So I mean, here's the, really good. Here's the thing that we encounter in the in early academy in, in '90s, late '80s, '80s, whatever Academy Awards. Actually, all Academy Awards up till now, Malcolm X probably should have won like all the awards that year. 
But it didn't. No, it's the same year as Bram Stoker's Dracula. So don't get ahead of yourself. <laughs> I don't know why I think that's so and funny. And Hoffa. But, oh, man, Hoffa. Jesus. And toys. Um, oh, I like toys. I went through a big toys phase. Oh, I, toys is, like, one of my least favorite movies of all time. Oh, it's awful. It makes me so scared. Yeah. It terrifies me. It's uh-huh. terrifying. I agree it's, with you. Most, it is, like, most people think it's terrifying. Well, you know what, though? I had the same, I had that reaction to, like, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and I felt kind of the same way about, I felt like that and toys are kind of the same thing, where it's, it, it, it traffics in terror. You know what I mean? And they try to make it fun, but really it's just terrifying. Bram Stoker's Dracula won three Oscars. For what? Awesome. Uh, costume design, makeup, and art. Nope. And sound effects editing. Hmm. It lost art direction. Bram Stoker's Dracula. I love that movie. Um, like, legitimately love it, or just ironically love it? No, I really like it. I haven't seen it in a long time. It's good. I like it. We should do a bonus episode of Francis Ford Coppola making monster movies. <laughs> Frankenstein and... <laughs> Dracula and yeah, his Godzilla movie. Yeah, that's it. That's all you need. Um, I'll just you know quick overview. Clint Eastwood plays Will Money. Uh, he's living a quiet life out on a farm in Wyoming. Or no, he's not in Wyoming. Where is he? He's or he is in Wyoming. He's not far. He's in Wyoming from uh, from Big Whiskey, Wyoming. Um, His pig's got the fever. He's got two kids. His wife died. He used to be... Oh, wait. No, he's in Kansas. I thought so. Yeah, yeah. he was in Kansas. Um, I hate... The, you know what? Something I hate about Westerns, and maybe I shouldn't hate this, and maybe it's just because my experience with Westerns really kind of started with this movie, and it's like an American Western thing, where like the Italian Westerns didn't really give a shit about the geography. Because it was... They're just like, in, they're here. Italy. Look where they are. They're here. This is the country. This is California territory? This is westerns. New Mexico territory? Which state are they in? West. Territory? The West. Um, yeah, it's not until like later in these modern westerns where they're like, oh, they're in this state, and then they have to go to this other state. Um, he's a killer, and he gets, he gets propositioned by a man named the Schofield Kid that there's a woman in big whiskey... Uh, Wyoming, who's who had a face cut up by two cowboys, and and little Bill, the sheriff, didn't mete out the punishment that the that the whores uh, wanted, and and they've raised some money, and they're gonna pay a they're gonna pay a bounty to have these two men killed, a thousand dollars, and the Schofield kid and Will Money are gonna split the money up. Um, Will goes over to his friend Ned's house, played by Morgan Freeman, who I think is really excellent in this. In, in this role. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, weird. He seems like weirdly at ease playing like an ex, you know, murdering cowboy person. It's definitely a bummer he didn't get a nomination. For I think this. so too, especially in like... like a, especially since that Jack Nicholson got nominated. Yeah. Um, I, I think too... In Al Pacino of, also got nominated for supporting actor. For what? Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. No, let's... That's, that's yeah. a good one. I mean, I think in hindsight, Jack Lemmon probably. It's Denzel Washington should win... Best actor, and then Jack Lemon should be like a second place thing. Oh, I think they got this one right. Yeah, I think I like Gene Hackman makes this movie for me. Oh no, I mean just like it, I think I would considering Jack Lemon would be the lead actor. Oh, okay. And, and yeah, so yeah. so oh, I think Gene Hackman's great. Um, they go to they go 
to Big Whiskey, already in Big Whiskey, or who's arriving in Big Whiskey is English Bob, played by Richard Harris, who is fucking great in this movie. Um, we don't necessarily know what he's doing there. I think we assume he's collecting the bounty, because why else would he be there? Um, little Bill kicks the shit out of him and sends him packing back in his stagecoach, and uh, Will and Ned and the Schofield kid, who we find out is is, is can't see very well, um, end up killing the the uh, two cowboys that cut up the woman. Um, they everyone gets their comeuppance in some way, except for Will and the Schofield kid who make out. But I think Will, uh, you know, he gets taken down a peg. He thought he was living a different kind of life, but he realizes that he's his own. He's never going to be able to shake the man who, like, Will Money, who kills women and children. Um, that's who he's going to be. He hasn't killed a woman or a child or anybody in 10 years, 11 years. And, and, but he's never going to be able to shake that, even though he stopped drinking and he got married and he had his kids and he's living the quiet life on his farm with his beef-fevered pigs. Um, he's always going to be that guy. Um, this movie is on my list, like a bunch of other movies, that are gonna, we're going to talk about soon, because for a little while in my life, Unforgiven was the best movie I've ever seen. Um, you know, we're going to talk about one in a couple weeks that kind of um, didn't replace Unforgiven, but Unforgiven was it, was it was one of those movies that, like, I didn't have any experience with Westerns. Like, I didn't grow up with Westerns. I didn't necessarily know. I knew what a Western was supposed to be. I know what it, what it meant. But I hadn't seen, like, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. I hadn't seen Lonesome Dove. I hadn't read any Westerns. I had no framework to to consider Westerns. The language of it, the tropes, you know what I mean? And so confronted with them in Unforgiven, I was like, holy fucking shit. Like, this is, this is intense. Like, just the intensity of it, the violence of it. I mean, even though arguably it's less violent than something like... Um, you know, the wild bunch where people are just getting like blown away and stuff like that. All the still have yet to see that one. Yeah. You, oh, you haven't, no, I've, seen... I haven't seen it. No. Yeah. No. Um, watching it again, uh, this week to do this, I was like struck by the insularity of the violence. You know what I mean? Like the violence is always close up. Um, we talked about the good, the bad and the ugly, um, you know, uh, months and months and months ago. It feels like it feels like forever ago. And that movie was so big. You know what I mean? It's like the Civil War is the backdrop for everything that's happening here. In this movie, it takes place in 1880. So the Civil War is very over. It almost seems like we're kind of entering like a new, not quite a new era um, in American culture. But it definitely, it's progressed somewhat. You know what I mean? And you can kind of sense yeah, it's not like that viewer. late. It's not that late Western, like... You'll see in Wild Bunch, but it's um, it's getting there. Like cultures you, starting getting, to getting there is like the perfect way yeah. to uh, the perfect culture seeping in. Well, and it's, it's to the point where all of these, you know, little Bill talks a lot about, and people around him talk a lot about, you know, where he's been, where he came from. You know, I mean, he was that guy in Kansas. He was that guy in Cheyenne. He was that guy in wherever. And but now he's building a house. You know what I mean? Now, being that guy doesn't, it doesn't have the same 
um, you know, it has power, but it has a different power for him. He's going to settle down. You know what I mean? Things are changing. He doesn't want to be... He wants to be that guy without having to do the that guy stuff, without having to, like, constantly kick the shit out of people. At least that's what he thinks in his mind. Um, but for a long time, like, the Richard Harris stuff, like the scene where Richard Harris turns, you know what I mean, and just has half of his face and little bills in the background and everyone's got their guns pointed at him, was just, like, embedded in my mind. All those great fucking Eastwood silhouettes. You know what I mean? When Eastwood just turns his head a little bit and you get that classic Eastwood, like the line of his face, you know what I mean? And he's just like, he's just so Eastwoody. And like, I don't even really have to explain it and you kind of know what I mean, you know, especially when he has the fever. He's pulling his coat tight to him. It's just, it's so powerful. It's so, it seemed so like raw to me, like having never confronted like a Western before that all that stuff really stuck with me. Like Ned's body in the coffin has like, is something that's stuck with me for a really long time. Um, but going back to it, I just think it's a really, it's an excellently made movie. Like it's, if it's not deserving of the Oscar because I think other things are more deserving and maybe more important, I think it's deserving of the Oscar for just like a competency, um, which I think Clint Eastwood has kind of struggled to match um, for the rest of his movie. Like, you know, he's won a bunch, a couple, been nominated for more Oscars. He's won another Oscar. He's been well decorated for like his filmmaking prowess. But there isn't anything and anything he's made since then that matches. Like, and I don't want to say majesty in a stupid way, the majesty of this, the long scene where him and the Schofield kid, like after the Schofield kid has just killed that guy and they're waiting for that woman to bring up the money and he's watching her kind of, you know, ride down the hill and then ride up the hill and that guy's just, she's drinking the whiskey and they're having those long conversations and he's saying like, you know, and I sh- you know, I've never killed a guy before. He's like, and I shot him right in the, you know, went to get his gun, and I shot him right in the chest, and he kind of starts crying. And he's like, oh, well, you really, sh- you sure killed the hell out of him today. Um, they have this long conversation about what it means to kill a man. Clint Eastwood has never matched that. Um, you think even before or after, like, the, the power of, of, of those scenes. Um, but I just think that any movie that you carry with you for that long is going to kind of, um, influence your the things that you love. If, you, if you're if you're a person who's going to be influenced by things, and you're going to carry um, you're going to carry things with you for a long time. Now, when I watch Unforgiven, I see a lot of things in it that I can attach to movies that I love now. Um, the you know the quiet of it, the space, the insularity of it. You know what I mean? Like this is a personal struggle. It's about Ultimately, I think the movie is about like self mythology and what you think you can erase and what you think you can establish and what the reality of those things are, confronting the realities of yourself. Um, you know, as we march along here, we're going this like there's going to be themes that were present in a lot of the movies that I talked about in, you know, 36 to 100. They're going to be like right up to the front here. I definitely didn't notice that stuff when I first saw Unforgiven. But watching it now, the reason that I like gravitated to it and held on to it for so long is um, because of those themes. You know what I mean? The idea that like 
you think you have an under, a very good understanding of who you are, um, but there's always a reality that you are pushing away, and then it just walks through the the doors of a saloon and shoots you in the fucking chest. And even when you say, "Like I don't deserve this," you get to say something fucking awesome. Like when you when you have that moment of self realization, you know what I mean? Which mm. like Eastwood has here is like deserves got nothing to do with it. Amazing. That's, a, that's an amazing line. Um, this this movie's got a bunch of amazing lines. It's actually a really good western for that stuff. Like my favorite, like repeating. Th- and I guess all westerns have to have like, or good Eastwood westerns have to have like funny moments. So like the I'm a writer. Do you mean like letters and such? You know, being repeated is by Clint, by Gene Hackman and Clint Eastwood's characters is just like an amazing thing. Um, but yeah. So I'm curious to know about because I know you and Eastwood are not friends. Me and Eastwood are better friends than you and Eastwood are. Yeah. Um, no, this is one of only two of his films, directed films, that I really respond well to. Mm-hmm. Um, the other being Larry's from Iwo Jima. Larry's from Iwo Jima. I keep forget. I keep mixing that and, and Flags, Flags of Our, our Fathers. fathers yeah. And Flags of Our Fathers is fucking garbage. <laughs> and Larry's from Iwo Jima, I actually really enjoy. Um, and I'd say this is it's more to do with like the the people's screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy who's like written a lot of stuff that I weirdly respond to. I mean, he did the original Blade Runner. Um, he did a really hokey late, late eighties like monster movie called Leviathan. Mm. I don't know if you ever saw that. I see. Or, um, he did Twelve Monkeys. Yeah. And um, his last movie that he wrote was a Soldier, that Kurt Russell. Yeah. All W. S. Anderson movie, which is terrible, but. Also awesome. Um, I remember that movie. I came to Unforgiven after having seen a lot of westerns, so I don't have that sort of relationship with it. Uh, I was familiar more with the tropes. You know, I'd seen, like, The Wild Bunch, seen Searchers, and the plethora of westerns that Mm -hmm. kind of, like, influenced Unforgiven. And, And my, I guess, biggest issue with Unforgiven... It's a movie I enjoy, like, especially, like, Ned's body in, in the caskets. Just a great shot. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a film that has, for a Western, to me, a little too much grace, as it were. Mm. It, it feels so clean and so, it's so well acted by, its, you know, the three major leads, and then Richard Harris, and Saul Rubinick, who never gets oh, I love Saul Rubinick. Saul Rubinick's always He's great. He's great. Um, you know, it's, it's so incredibly well acted and so kind of you know it, it, it is Clint Eastwood like having knowledge of the western like being born of the western so yeah. having the ability to fucking shoot a western he somehow doesn't know how to shoot movies anymore and hasn't for many decades um, but it feels so it doesn't feel clinical but it feels refined and that's never what I want in a Western. It's a, that's and an so interesting I point. I have yeah. a huge appreciation for it, and I think it's an amazing film. But it's something I don't come back to, just because it's just it's the Oscar Western. Like it is the Western that is like the it is the Western that is um you know so well put together, so articulate. But I think my I think we're in we're. We're here now, is that I think... Are um, we? Oh, we're here. 
Um, because of its put togetherness, because you can trust it, you can focus. It allows you to focus on. So he's not making a movie. I just started like seven sentences in a row and I didn't finish any of them. Think about the good, the bad, and the ugly. What is the good, the bad, the ugly, ugly about? You know what I mean? It's about those shots. Mm-hmm. It's about sequences. This movie is a Western that's not about shots and sequences, although it has great shots and it has great sequences. It's about emotions. Yeah, and all the great shots and sequences in this aren't kind of like this landscapes or they're anything. Still, they're, 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 they're very painful. But they're also the people. The right. silhouettes. Yeah, yeah. The, close-ups the and those faces and those things, intimacy they carry like everything carries like an emotion to it you know what i mean where in and again the good the bad is an amazing movie um and i think think of something like that's kind of a failure in a way in kevin costner's open range remember open range the movie he made with robert duvall i try to forget open range it's it's it tries to be like an unforgiven type movie where it's about it's about something other than it's like a western, you know what I mean? It's about old age and, you know, all this other stuff. Um But it doesn't have that emotional component to it, because you really don't give a shit if either of them live or die in the in the movie. Um it's actually one of the things that I think sucks about Kevin Costner's Wyatt Earp movie. Which is another movie I try to forget. Which is that it's so, or even like Dances with Wolves in a way, where the emotions seem so wooden. Another movie I try to forget. Um, the emotions seem so wooden. If if me and Clayce would have a good relationship, me and Kevin Costner as a director have an even worse relationship. Yeah, I, I don't like. I mean, I respect Waterworld. Like I expect that it exists, um, but I don't like it. Um, yeah, I don't like anything that Kevin Costner's done directorially. Um, but those movies... He's a Pete Buttigieg guy, too. Is he? Yeah, that's not surprising. Uh, this is my shocked face. <laughs> um, those movies try to traffic in the emotions dealing with the knowledge of something being old. Clint Eastwood and Unforgiven actually tries to show you... Oh, he didn't direct White Earp. I thought he directed White Earp. Who directed Wyatt Earp? Uh, I thought he did too. One guess. Who do you think directed Wyatt Earp? What year was it? It's uh, 1994. Think about this podcast and the history. Larry Kazdan. <laughs> ah, Larry! <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> he directed The Postman though, right? Yes. Okay, so, um, I don't know if that, if that matters. But I think those movies are trying to get at things from an idea standpoint where... He didn't uh, direct Waterworld either. Who directed Waterworld? Kevin Reynolds. Is that just like a pseudonym? No, he directed... Why does Kevin Costner get all the blame for Robin Waterworld Hood, then? Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Which I like. Count of Monte Cristo. I, I think maybe he just pretends like he's directing these movies and it's really just Kevin Costner. But think about Waterworld. Kevin like, Costner's only directed three movies, apparently. But think about Waterworld. You just assumed he directed it, right? Yeah, he just directed three movies. Huh. Dance of the Wolves, Open Range, and The Postman. That seems weird. Yeah. I don't... I don't believe, believe that. No, me either. <laughs> it's like Tom Cruise not directing anything and Christopher McQuarrie like directing all these movies. Yeah, 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 And they all look... They all feel kind of the same. Um... Anyway, 
to get back to my point, we can end whenever. Um, those movies are about ideas. Those movies are idea movies. Clint Eastwood made a movie that wasn't about ideas, and it wasn't necessarily carried by the visuals, even though the visuals are great. It but was I, carried I said, by – it was a, it was about emotion. It was about confronting something within yourself. Which is, which is ideas. It's like – It's, it's, it's all ideas, personal. but it's manifested in a non-intellectual way. It's manifested – so, you know – as as a fiction writer, the thing I hear literally every day of my goddamn fucking life is the show don't tell stuff. Well, in Unforgiven, he's showing, he's not telling. And in The Postman and in Wyatt Earp and in Open Range and in like countless other shitty Western movies, they're telling me how something's supposed to feel instead of just like showing me what it looks like. Tombstone gets a pass because it's fucking awesome. But even in that, like, they're telling me things that, like, they're not showing me. Just Val Kilmer is showing me the goods. You know what I mean? Everything else is just Kurt Russell yelling at somebody, like, we're gonna get ya! Um, which happens a lot in Tombstone. But but it's awesome. But Tombstone has Robert Mitchum telling you. Tombstone is great. Tom Mix wept. You don't want to be told that? No, just let him weep. Um, but yeah, so there you go. You can't see Tom Mix weeping. Why can't you see it? Because it's just talking about, the, they don't show the funeral. Show him the show the funeral. You don't want to see the funeral. Who wants to see the funeral of Wyatt Earp? I want to see it. Tom, Tom Mix whipped. Tom Mix whipped. Fucking Bart Mitchin, man. Yeah. All right. Um, Unforgiven. I love, I love it. Unforgiven. I'm sure. I think it's great. And if I came, if I think I had come to it earlier, I would have definitely had a very close relationship with it. You know, the movie that. We will talk about in four or five weeks. It's kind of like the big Western for me that kind of emotionally grabbed me by the shirt and mm. punched me in the fucking throat. Yeah, I tried with like all the big Westerns, like Once Upon a Time in the West, um, you know, the movie we're going to talk about. Um, it's, it's Wild Bunch, guys. It's just Wild it's Bunch. It's Wild Bunch. But we're going to have some Sam Peck and Again, Bob. my relationship... Multiple Sam Peck I and Bob I didn't feel like I had a relationship to that anymore because I felt like I had like a real relationship with Unforgiven, like an emotional one, yeah. where I was just confronting the Wild Bunch on its Wild Bunchness um, and its history and its, and its in, uh, in cinema and what it represented and what it did and where things went after Wild Bunch and where they were before and where they went after. So, um, Okay, that's the end of... <laughs> and it's just... Exane gore. Yeah. <laughs> That's the end of my 35. Um, we'll be right back with Mario's. Nineteen ninety two was a was a year. What was a year? George H. W. Bush lost a reelection. Good. Bill Clinton didn't win Iowa or New Hampshire. No, well, obviously. But then he just ended up winning. No, in the primaries. No, I know. And they ended up coming back. And There's no way, George, that Bill Clinton wins Iowa or New Hampshire. In the prime, no, he lost, he lost both primaries. I know. He would never win either oh, of yeah, those states. Um, He's from Arkansas. That's true. He did win Arkansas in the generals, though. Uh, speaking of which, next next Monday's the Iowa primary. That's fun. Caucus, that's fun. I'm... I'm Crossing my fingers for an Amy Klobuchar victory. Like, out of nowhere. Just, just like, for nothing. Just nothing. It's like, oh, Cor- if this happens. Cory Booker somehow wins. He's Maybe. dropped oh. out, but their Iowa caucus people are just like, nope. We're on that Booker train. Andrew Yang just wins, like, four in a row. And just like, what the fuck is happening? He just was like, guys, stop. 
But, you know, 1992, I think we should stay in it for a bit. And so we're going to. Whoa. Now we're hanging <laughs> I don't know why I shifted papers over here. I don't really know how to introduce this movie because as I, when I first saw this, as not an angsty teenager, but as a teenager who wanted something like, you know, raw. Like, I saw this and I was like, this is fucking raw. And like, <laughs> and it was like kind of like one of those movies I saw where I was like, yeah, I'm starting to like watch movies and get movies and have the special uh-huh. DVD, you know. Like, it was, I think it was a two-disc. I don't know if it was a two-disc. It was a two-disc, yeah. You know, and I was like, ah, yeah, I'm fucking doing it. Like, I know movies. And, like, everyone talks about his other movie. But, like, this is his one that, you know, in 2002 or 2001 when I first saw this, like, some people had seen it. But, mm-hmm. you know, it hadn't become, like, so widespread. Um, but, you know, as I get away from it, and, and I think maybe his just later movies had maybe just so, like, fucking over this guy that... um. But I just, as I get older, I'm just like, oh, this is kind of childish. But I got to respect the impact. Got to respect the impact that, like, the screenplay had on me, that, you know, the, these box, as I call it, films do. I've always loved a box film. Mm-hmm. You know, six characters in search of an exit sort of style. Yeah. Um, and that's why my number 35 is Quentin Tarantino's debut film, Reservoir Dogs. your names, Mr. White, Mr. Blonde, Mr. Pink. Why am I Mr. Pink? Who cares what your name is? Yeah, that's easy for you to say. You're Mr. White. You have a cool-sounding name. Let's go to work. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right. What happens if the manager won't give you the diamonds? Cut off one of his fingers. The little one. I'm so scared because I'm falling the chair. And I'm if they hadn't done what I told them not to do, they'd still be alive. That's the one thing I really like about that trailer. Is like it's a, such a modern trailer for, like that trailer when it came out, but like ridiculously modern. No, you don't like have a guy going like trailers. six guys enter a room, enter a enter a jewelry store, a and then it all goes heist gone wrong. terribly wrong. You know, it's just like it just lets it sit. Yeah. Uh, Reservoir Dogs is about an, a diamond heist gone wrong because it seems as though uh, the police, you know, found out about it too soon. That there might be a, a rat in the mix. And so they all. There may be a rat in the mix. <laughs> and so they all coalesce upon a warehouse to figure out who the rat is and to figure out a way to get out. You know. People then get shot. The storyline is told non-linearly. We kind of go back and forward in time. We get we get to see a, a bleeding Tim Roth on the ground and a Harvey Keitel losing his shit. Um, and Steve Buscemi doing the Steve Buscemi character that he would do forever after this. Yeah. And Chris Penn not being good. He just Michael he yells a lot. And also not being good. Chris Penn. Michael Madsen. You know, like like I said, I, coming back to this, this is a movie that has I get separated from it and further and further away from it, the more I don't give a shit about it. Uh-huh. I think it's fine. What is the, so what is the influence, do you think? The influence is, is when I saw it. Yeah. You know, like, it had a major... It sets... This movie 
mixed with some others kind of sets the course for like movie watching mm-hmm. for like feeling as though I am seeing something and going out of my way to see something that people aren't seeing yet. Mm-hmm. Like Reservoir Dogs, fucking everyone's seen it by now. But you know, early 2000s, you know, people were kind well, how of available? in the Tarantino. Because it was, was available, but like because it was Reservoir Dogs and then it was uh, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown. And nobody fucking gave a shit about Jackie Brown. Yeah. Really, you know what I mean? And then, so Kill Bill was what? 2004. 2003. Three in 2000, 2003, 2004. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I see, I don't remember it. For me, growing up, it was Clerks and Reservoir Dogs were the same movie. You know what I mean? You just saw both of them together. They did the same thing. Yeah. They no, were and- part of the same language. If you were a film person, like, you watch Clerks and you watch Reservoir Dogs, and apparently you were supposed to make a movie that was half Clerks and half Reservoir Dogs, and your goal was to figure out how to do that. And for me, I had the Brothers McMullen kind of was like, no, no, no. Don't do that. Don't make either of those movies. You just make this movie. Or I had, you know, Goodwill Hunting to be like, you don't make that. You make these this type of movie. But before I encountered that, it was just these two movies. These no, were the movies. I would actually say a little more Mallrats and Chasing Amy. Okay. Kirk's, Kirk was a movie I just kind of saw, and I was like, that fucking sucked. Because, spoilers, guys, Clerks is yeah, no good. But didn't you see Clerks? In, I mean, so I feel the same way about Reservoir Dogs as I feel about Clerks, which is that I fucking hate it. But at the time, I was like, I can't hate it. I definitely am not allowed to hate this. No, exactly. I, I watched that, and I will say this. The thing I still respond to a lot about Reservoir Dogs, and I think Harvey Keitel acts his face off in this, like, compared yeah. to everyone else. Well, it's just really... Like, Tim Roth is great in it, too. Tim, uh, Tim Roth is... Think, saw, he hits a like, He hits this, like, whiny, screaming voice at times. But it's just too much. Time. It's too much, but, like, it's still good. Like, yeah. it's still... It plays off of, like, what Kytel, like Carbon Kytel is doing. Um, and, yeah, no, but the, the reason it's here is because this is the movie that kind of, like, set the course for where I was like, I don't really need to see this. But I need to see it. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And Clerks is maybe more the better example of that, where I really didn't want to fucking see Clerks, because I really didn't give a shit about Clerks, but I had to see it. And with this, at least, like I saw Clerks, and I was like, like, yeah, that's fine. You know, I was, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I freely admitted, like, that's fine. And I love, I don't love, I like Chasing Amy, so I was like, but Chasing Amy, and I liked Mallrats, so I'm like, but. Small rats. Yeah. You know, whereas like Clerks, I'm like, mm, it was a good first try and you it's know, impressive what yeah. he did off of 18,000. But like Reservoir Dogs, like, you know, for a 13, for like a 14 year old kid, mm-hmm. like that dialogue you you make believe is, is great dialogue. Well, so we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks with the same guy for me. And I think Michael that, Madsen? Yeah, Michael Madsen. Yeah. Uh, no, Roger Avery. Um, <laughs> Where? I was gonna say is, is the relic on your list, but I realize that's Tom Sizemore. It's basically the same guy. Yeah, can't you imagine Michael Tom Madsen Sizemore just in this commits movie? a lot less crimes? Tom Sizemore should have been in this and doesn't beat up Heidi Flight. Um, I think I had the same experience with a, a different movie by Quentin Tarantino, and I'm not spoiling anything because it's not Jackie Brown. So, um, where I my mind got torn off. And so I watched this after I watched 
Pulp Fiction. You know what I mean? Um, so this seemed way less interesting. Like, I don't. If one more person says to me that the tip conversation scene is like a good piece of dialogue, I'm gonna fucking puke no, blood. I, I would agree. Like, I, it's just it's so hackneyed and 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 uh, and just like forced into there. Like those conversations. The thing about Pulp Fiction is that the conversations that seem like they have nothing to do with anything actually have everything to do with everything. Where in this movie, the Like a Virgin conversation and the um, tip conversation have nothing to do with anything. No, they're you know completely what I mean? they're separate nothing. ideas. They're nothing in things in a movie. All they're supposed to do is like maybe set the tone for the characters that follow, but they don't really even do much of that. No. Um, and I guess, you know, I, I, def- I saw Pulp Fiction before I saw Reservoir Dogs. Mm-hmm. And I like Pulp Fiction. Like, I like it, you know, quite a bit. But um, it's earlier on your list than this yeah. one. But I think the reason why is, like, I convinced myself that, like, Reservoir Dogs was better. And Reservoir Dogs more set the tone for, like, what I thought an independent film should be. Yeah, sure, like, for sure. You know, you had to go into the video store and find, like, Pulp Fiction was, like, the movie everybody had seen. Like, it gets nominated for Best Picture and all that. Reservoir Dogs gets nothing. And, like, it's like, oh, you like Tarantino, you like Pulp Fiction? Well, have you seen that? It's, like, the one you wanted to be, like, the kind of asshole about. Yeah. Like, this was, like, kind of the start of me being an asshole about film. <laughs> um, like, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari would, like, take it over the fucking Is edge. that on your and list? And Both those movies are, are going to be yeah. yeah. I can't wait to talk about Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Oh, you don't have to wait long. Yes. About the same amount of time we have to wait to talk about your Tarantino film. It's the same week. What did you feel about? We're going to talk about Tarantino and Captain of Dr. Caligari. It's going to be a good. One. What did you feel about that um, episode? Did you see the episode of Portlandia? I don't watch. With the episode with the Captain of Dr. Caligari. No, I'll, I'll give it a look before the episode. Yeah, but, I mean um, it's 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 Portlandia, so it's not like it's like super heavy, but it's no. it's very. It confronts the the elitist attitude. Like you have to see this movie. You have to see this weirdo nineteen twenties movie that like. Criterion has and like pushes like crazy. It's like a, I think it's a two disker. Those are really. I think so. Um, But yeah, so this like sets the course for this movie. Even though it's not very good, I still imagine there's 13 year olds out there. Yeah. Who are going to make a podcast in 20 years? Yep. And we'll see this movie, and they'll be like, "This movie's fucking rocks," and they'll convince all their try to convince all their friends about why like. Oh, Django Unchained now is what they'd be talking about, or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Tarantino's lost the script, man. You gotta see him back when he was raw, back when he was in Hollywood. You mm-hmm. didn't have Brad Pitt in his movie, you know? He just had a he just had an old guy from The Irishman who doesn't yeah. really say much. Uh, and you know, Tim Roth. And they're like, "Who's Tim Roth?" And he's like, "I don't know." <laughs> is Tim Roth doing anything anymore? Yeah, he was just on Fresh Air. Just to be on Fresh Air? I don't know. He, oh, he was on that Fox show. He was in Lie Lo- to Me show. He was in Loose, which came out like last year, which a lot of people liked. Which is now on Hulu. To tie this Tim to, Roth endorsed Bernie Sanders in 2016. There you go. Is he uh, a citizen? I don't know. Does that matter? No, no, no. It doesn't matter. Um, um, yeah. yeah. So like, this is like the... The reason some of this, like, I, I think it's an okay movie still. Like, I still watch it and I think it's okay just because of the R.V. Keitel performance. And I think some of the later, like, the screenplay gets tighter, like, near the end. Mm-hmm. Like, you definitely, 
get a good connection between white and orange. But there's so much fucking fluff in there. Like, the ear scene is something that's stupid as shit in a movie. The only thing that's cool about that scene is, you know, blonde getting blown the fuck away. Yeah, that's that's like a cool moment because you didn't see it coming. Um, even though I think you might have had an inkling that orange was the cop. Um, but you still didn't see him just kind of getting up because no one paid any attention to him for a half hour yeah. at that point. Um, he gets up and just blows blonde away and then he has that conversation with the cop. Um, but I think your point about if you were making, if you had an idea in your head, Mario, when you were a teenager that you might want to make movies, Reservoir Dogs seemed like the movie that you could make. You know what I mean? Like, everyone talks about the fact, like, this is an old saying in, like, the music world, where um, the Ramones spawned, like, a thousand bands. Like, so many kids went to see the Ramones, and, like, I could do that. And, like, if you listen to enough podcasts with musicians, they all talk about going to see either the Ramones or Black Flag and being like, yeah, I could do that. And then they start a band and they become whatever they are. I think a lot of people saw Reservoir Dogs and was like, I could fucking do that. I could totally do that. Including me. Including, I mean, I fucking hate this movie. Um, because just because of all the things that I've talked about on this podcast before of like it, how um, fast and loose it plays with human life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like people just die like I don't find I don't find the situation compelling. Like, oh, let's just steal a bunch of diamonds. Like that just seems stupid to me. Um, but after I watched this movie, I was like, I could do this. I could stick six guys in a room and like have them scream at each other, and like that's a compelling movie. Yeah, and put a cool song in there. You know what I mean? Like, oh, what cool song can I put in there? You- For me, it was I was a loser, so I was like, I'll stick a, I'll set a movie in a diner, and like not diner. But I'll stop. put one of my movies that I wrote, like half of the movie took place in a diner where, you know, or a record store. You know what I mean? I wrote a lot of record store movies after High Fidelity and like this movie and like a bunch of other stuff. I was like, yeah, I'll just stick six guys in a record store and they'll have like a, 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 a Reservoir Dogs type situation without the murder. But like just six guys yelling at each other in a record store. It's just a thing that you thought you, you could do. Yeah. You know what actually inspired me to try to write forever? Um, and I wrote it, and, and I couldn't ever get my friends to do it. Like, we made a shit ton of movies as kids, like, because all, I think, kids that got super into movies would do. Mm-hmm. I wrote, I wrote a, an adaptation of Waiting for Godot. <laughs> okay, and what was the adaptation? Um, so it was just, like, basically just kind of like a modernized, like a modernization of Waiting for Godot with, like, a more... Where did that, it take place? It just took, takes place in the desert still. Just on a desert road. Oh. Um, and... I, Which you were allowed to do. You were lived I in a desert. Ended up giving it a, a, a. I got rid of a lot of the absurdism <laughs> on purpose. Who needs it? Who needs the absurdism <laughs> of waiting? For yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck you, Samuel Beckett. Your books suck. <laughs> Your trilogy of books suck. Um, and I set. I, I like had the entire score set to it, like in my head, the soundtrack. It was gonna be all like early Iron and Wine, mm, like two thousand two. Yeah. Um, like naked as like, became stuff. Like uh, Creek drank the candle, I think, or or endless no endless endless number, number days. days yeah. yeah, like so it's like two thousand like four or five ish. I started thinking about doing this, and I was like, I was like an eighty page screenplay, and it completely changes the ending. Godot shows up. Uh, 
big twist there. What Iron and Wine song is playing while that when Godot shows up? Nothing. There's no no thing. Sodom no. South Georgia going. No. Um, I had Teeth in the Grass to start. Oh, Teeth in the Grass. Yeah. yeah. But like, but like, I'd say like Reservoir Dogs kind of sets that because it's small and it's intimate and it does feel like you can fucking. Well, do that's it. it's that's the whole thing with Reservoir. And again, I don't like it, but it made you feel like this was real. For, for, a, for people inclined to do this artistically, Reservoir Dogs made you feel like your dream could live, could, could, could find a reality somewhere. Yeah. Um, I, it, I, and Clerks was the same way. It was those two movies. Like, this is, this is real. My weirdo feelings that I have, like where I, I want to write things with a name in the middle. I have to buy a program to... to, to to format my script correctly and all this other stuff. And I want to put a, I got an image in my Final head and I want to put a bro. song to it. And I want to, and I want to put a, you know, a, a movement. I want to put a, a, a line of dialogue, like reservoir dogs made that seem like a, a legitimate thing to want. It made it seem like you could figure out how to get however many thousand dollars to shoot something on a film, even though you didn't know where you were going to get a camera from. It just made you feel like it doesn't matter. You could just get it. Yeah. You could if you want it bad enough, and you can write a cool enough thing. You can get I it. Can max out a couple credit cards. Yeah. First, you have to get a couple credit cards, but and you can max them out. But apparently, that was easier in the early nineties than it, became, than it yeah. became later in the decade. Until Joe Biden fucked it all up. Fucking Joe Biden. Um, I like how we've turned this into like the the uh, the subtext of this whole <laughs> thing is like a weirdo democratic. I don't know. Subtext? Self-realization. The, sub- the subtext of it? Like, trying to grapple sure. with who we are as Democrats. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm like, unfortunately, I guess the thing is a lot of my screenplays ended up having way too much language after both of those movies. <laughs> well, uh, so what was the shortest screenplay you ever wrote? Like 30 pages. Really? Like I don't think I ever wrote a screenplay course. under, like, 140 pages. Well, did you ever film anything? No. Because I didn't have, I just assumed I was gonna just submit it to somewhere, and they were just gonna be like, "Yeah, yeah, this like, is the, this is the to, one." You're gonna send it over to Harvey and Bob, and they'd they'd <laughs> take it. Exactly, um, but because everything was so verbose, you you never like tried to like make a like a movie with your friends. Well, I was at a TV production class where we it was it wasn't anything that I had written. It was like stuff we developed. So we did like um, uh, a speed three. Which before Speed Three, Speed Three, there's no Speed Three, no, is there? No speed Three. So we did Speed Three. It took place in a shopping cart, and we um, we figured out that if we drove our car holding a camcorder out the window, we could film some pretty good action shots of a guy pushing a shopping cart. And the shopping cart couldn't stop moving, or else the, the it would explode. And we used um, we spliced in. This is all using video. We spliced in um, Alderaan exploding, so <laughs> the world exploded. If the sh- <laughs> the shopping cart went beyond a certain... And then we did a documentary of um, a wrestling buddy. Remember wrestling buddies? Yeah. So we did... Like we, the whole Kogans and all Yeah, that. we named... We had a Macho Man one that we named... Um, or my, my brother named it Johnny T-Bone Radar. That sounds like a Macho Man yeah. movie gimmick. And so we made... Bone a, saws ready. We made a behind-the-music-style documentary about the wrestling buddy, Johnny T-Bone Radar. 
And that was like the extent of what I did from like a film standpoint. In my video production, I actually got an award somehow, an end of year thing for a video production thing for good rules gone bad. It was so we had like a a news station, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Friday news, and my segment that I produced was not disobeying school rules, like, but it led to like massive amounts of death and injury. Uh-huh. Like, look, you know, like, like if you disobey, like, you die. You have to cross, like, at the watch. You have to cross at the um, crosswalk, and yeah. like, we had a dummy just get destroyed by a car because it's not crossing at the crosswalk. Mm-hmm. In high, and, this is in high school, uh, middle school. Okay. Um, we got a teacher to drive the car. It was great. Uh, <laughs> no, it wasn't a teacher. It was uh, our high school brother, friend of friend a of friend of yours, brother, brother who was in um, high school. Yeah. But then all throughout, like later high school and college, I made no, tons I've, of movies, and <laughs> I saw a couple of them. I I you never saw OC, which makes me sad. No, it's it, my lost movie. Does it not? It doesn't exist anywhere. No, I edited it. I I, I finished it. I. Finalized it. I got to have Adobe Premiere, which is what we had to edit our fucking movies on, which mm-hmm. sucks because its sound optimization was wasn't great. Mm. So like you'd sit there for like forever trying to sound, and like the guy I had sent like do the the camera operation on it kept getting his feet in the shot, so I'd have to like reframe shots. But it ended up looking really good from a makeup effect standpoint. Mm-hmm. Like I got some nice squibs in there. It's gory as shit. Is it a full length movie? No, it was like forty minutes. Oh. Um, you know, it's so on the nose and starts with a uh, cream playing. Which cream? It, like white. Sunshine of uh, your love? White, no. Uh, the, why, why am I forgetting? White something? room? Yeah, white room. Because um, it's about, you know, guys selling Oxycontin. Yeah. Um, and then it just disappeared. Just disappeared off yeah, my friend's computer. I don't know where any of that, uh, that my things are. Dude, we were very proud of them. We thought they were we, like the funniest shit ever. Spent three days making that and then six days editing it it was my proudest and you did it digitally like like on a computer yeah yeah Yeah, yeah. so we did i mean all of ours were it was pre it was 98 99 Mm -hmm. so it was all video video, which was the fucking worst doing credits on a video machine was like a nightmare doing credits on like adobe premiere is awesome like it was great like doing like overlays and all that yeah things are different now it's weird and I've Dubleek still exists though, guys. If you ever want to go on YouTube and type in Dubleek, you can see a movie I made. Well, it's, well you it's have, a weird one. If you are engaged on Twitter at all, I would say you should post it on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> but I know that you're not. I'm not engaged, ladies. ladies. But yeah, no, this is. It's not a good movie, but for a 13 year old. But I think for the I'm com- gonna say it's a good movie. And I think for the conversation we've just had, I understand like completely why it is introductions. Like where it is. Yeah, you know what we're I mean? talking like all today about just introductions to to things, and like this is like the you know the uh, the tinder box that sets off that yeah. like, fire. Well, yeah, I think we both like had weirdo dreams that we were gonna be movie people. Still possible, man. <laughs> I don't know. I'm almost forty. I'm, I'm going to be dead soon. 34. Well, you got to... Maybe, maybe I upload your consciousness somewhere. Fingers crossed, Mario. To Twitter? Fingers crossed. Just to Twitter. I don't know. That'd be a... Be a whoa. Whoa. It'd be a Twitter feed that runs like 24 hours a day. <laughs> the amount of things that are going on in my head all the time. Um, so, yeah. Uh, call us, folks. 
We're yeah. gonna add, we're gonna add this to like our end. Four seven five seven 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 two four five zero. That's it. Four seven five seven 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 two four five zero. I didn't look once again. I looked from memory. I looked, and he it is from memory. His computer is totally in the way of my piece of paper that I've got. Yeah, I didn't I didn't type anything on there. No, I, I can't it. even see it. It's just a glare. Um, it's just Reservoir Dogs Wikipedia. Call page. us and tell us what your pivotal film experience was. I don't know how and long. We'll criticize the shit out of. Yeah. Um, we'll mock you. We'll cr- call you back. And I actually make think fun cr- of you. Chris. In the earlier in the episode, and I'm going to timestamp another thing, gives you a fairly good um, model that you should use. You know, tells you what the movie's about and why it's pivotal to you and, like, your experience with it. And just in three minutes, I'm going to put some awesome music behind it. It'll be really cool. And you can tell your grandkids, like, I called this weirdo podcast that takes place in New Haven. You know that podcast that, like, everyone listens to now that became, like, a wild stallions, like, cult? Yeah. Five years from now? Remember that? Back to the Wild Stallions. I called that. Bill and Ted's coming out this year. It's gonna be. We're gonna be the Wild Stallions. Was that on your list at all? I mean, I'm going to see it. Did I'm you excited. like Bill and Ted? When no, I didn't. I never got to do it. Oh. I thought it was stupid. Oh, I like Bill and Ted. Like, gotta remember this podcast is also. I have pretty typical expected tastes. I feel like I was a bad person when I was growing up. I feel like my parents did a bad job. Actually, they didn't do a bad job. It was just more music-based than it was movie-based. Like, I had no mu- movie experience when I was a kid. It was all music. Oh, see, and I had zero music experience. Yeah. It was all movies. Listen to the, well, it was just like, listen to this tape. We're going we're gonna to listen to this was-not-was tape over and over and over again. I just listened so to So now it. I know, like, everything about was-not-was, but, like, I have no, like, Bill and Ted reference. Like, most of my childhood was Metallica, like, young childhood, like, when I was, like, six. It was like Metallica, Collective Soul, and uh, um, Brian Adams. Tom is shaking David, his head, and the and cops da- are coming. And, uh, Hasselhoff? And, uh, no. David Hasselhoff? No. What the hell's his name? David, not David Ferry. Brian Ferry? Brian Ferry from Roxy Music? Yeah. I mean, I liked Roxy Music. And Talking Heads. And Talking Heads. Yeah. My mom had decent tastes. My dad did not. He liked, he liked that Collective Soul song. Which one? Turn that's collective soul yeah oh oh december yeah december my mom thought that song was about a woman taking a cum shot in her mouth i think it probably was i don't think think it is i think all songs are about that (laughs) aren't they like she's like mario shouldn't hear this song i'm like my dad was like i don't think that song's about that I watched the last episode of Saturday Night Live and Halsey. You know who Halsey is? She's a musician. You know, but do you, I, I don't know anything about her. I why all of her songs could be about that. Both songs she played could totally be about that. Exactly. I think thing. all the sketches Adam Driver did were about that. Yeah. The undercover boss shitty going back oh my to the God, well one that more was time. Terrible. Well, I was surprised he allowed that to happen. I was surprised he didn't just walk away like he did Terry Gross. <laughs> I'm not doing it. They should have made him watch it. Oh, that that's why he walked away from Terry Gross, right? Because she, she wanted him to sing. And, but he told her. She wanted him to sing? No, so they were going to play the oh, clip yeah, of him singing. Oh, yeah, podcast is over. Like, this, this is just they the, were going to play the clip of him singing. And he told her ahead of time, like, I'm not going to do this. And she did it anyway. And he was just like, fuck it, I'm out of here. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I'm going to walk out when I get on. When you and me are on Terry Gross, I'm gonna, we're going to walk out. I'm staying. I'm going to be like, you know, Terry. You know what, gross, you know what you're not? You're not Michael Gross. 
Oh. And then she'll just go, I'm no, no. I'm not. And I'm like, Michael Gross was in seven fucking Tremors movies, including and Tremors in, like Wild Hunter or whatever. An amazing television show in the 80s. He was not overshadowed by the Michael J. Fox. Oh, Family Ties. I didn't really he and the Justine Batemans. He's only 72. He held his own. He's got, he's got a life ahead of him. He held his own. He's been married. He's still married. I feel like I'm going to title this episode something about he's Michael Gross. Huge, he's a huge railroad fan and collects a bunch of railroad stuff and is an amateur railroad historian. Of course he is. He, everything I hear about him makes me happier. I just Now I'm going to go away before I see like political opinions. Okay, so let's, let's end this thing. Um, you do it first, right? We haven't done a list episode in seven weeks. Oh, yeah. So it's, uh, it's hard to remember how this goes. I don't. I, I think it just always ends the same. You say the Twitter, and then I say the email. Oh, right. And the Twitter. website. Uh, if you want to email us, you can email us at pivotalfilmpodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Oh, wait. No. Do I say that part? Yeah. No. You say, you say, say the Twitter. Yeah. If you want to tweet us, you can tweet us at Film Pivotal. Or you can go to Pivotal Film. Uh, or you can email us at pivotalfilmpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can go to pivotalfilm.com and see a link to uh, how to subscribe. Or what to... else can you do, Tom? I'm getting there. Okay. Or you can uh, see links to uh, how to subscribe or to our Twitter or to um, our lists or um, our best of list that I put up or our list of the beers. Or you can call us at 475-777-2450 and tell us what your pivotal film is. But until then... Go see a movie. Find a movie to see. Bad Boys for Life. And was go see good. it. You know what? If you see the gentleman of, was apparently okay. If you see, that see the point. gentleman, or you see the turning, or you go see Gretel and Hansel, or you see one of these movies that we're not gonna see, give us a call and give us a three minute review on it, and we'll put it on the air. We'll put some cool music behind it, and we'll fucking we'll do it right. Give us a call. With um, a grudge, you're not allowed to give reviews. Don't go see the grudge. Yeah. Um, but see a movie. Drink a beer, and we will talk to you next week.